You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Is anybody surprised that Kamala Harris isn't doing a great job fixing our border by being in Central America? That it's a debacle, pretty much. Is this a shock to anyone? What has ever shown people who are who are fixed uh, or who are fixing their attention on results and ability? What has ever shown them uh, any inclination whatsoever of Kamala Harris to get the job done? To just be Harris and have people push her along and vote for her and and elevate her. Yeah, sure, she can do that. But to actually get results that shows a skill set, that shows an ability beyond playing the system, this shouldn't be surprising at all, right? It's not surprising. We'll get more into this in a second. But, you know, we're living in a digital age where your personal data is always under attack and your online privacy seems seems to be a thing of the past. There's a better way you can protect your information and privacy without worrying about the prying eyes of big data. Introducing Secure, an encrypted instant messaging and secure email service hosted in Switzerland. Why Switzerland? It's where the world's strictest data privacy laws are applied by using proprietary technology and military grade encryption methods. A proprietary platform and servers hosted in Switzerland secure protects your data from the invasive cloud act and other privacy intrusive laws. These are secure email and instant messaging services never seen before in the market today. And they're away from big tech platforms such as Amazon Web Services, Facebook, WhatsApp, Microsoft and Google. Take back your privacy and online security with secure by going to secure.com. That's S-E-K-U-R. Very important with the spelling here. S-E-K-U-R.com. Use the coupon code BUCK for one week free and 25% off. Be sure to use that coupon code BUCK. Just go to the website now, secure, S-E-K-U-R, secure.com, and regain your privacy. Again, why not go to the border as well so that you do see the full complexity? Listen, I've been to the border before. I will go again. But when I'm in Guatemala (laughs) dealing with root causes, I think we should have a conversation about what's going on in Guatemala. What a disaster Kamala Harris is here. What a disaster. Everyone knows it. Everyone sees it. And they're being reminded of what was so apparent when she wanted to be the next president instead of vice president and appointed position. Presidents of the United States with even Democrat voters. This isn't a Republican thing. Democrat voters were like, nah, I don't like her. Uh, seems seems very staged, very fake. Obviously so. And here she is acting like everybody else is crazy. She's the border czar who will not go to the U.S.-Mexico border, and she's laughing whenever she's, whenever she's challenged on this, it's pretty easy. Why not just say, you know what, I'll go to the border tomorrow. Stop asking me this question. I'll go to the border tomorrow. Because she won't go. She won't go because there will be a press corps that travels with her, and they will have to cover the disaster, and she will be photographed there. We all understand what's going on here. This is not actually that complicated. But she keeps making it worse because her answers are absurd. It's nonsensical. I mean, here she is telling everybody, 
with, with, with no trace of irony here, with, with zero self-awareness, Vice President Harris, who thinks she's soon to be President Harris, is out there telling people, I, listen to this, play two. I also believe that if you want to fix a problem, you have to go to where the problem exists. If you want to address the needs of a people, you must meet those people. You must spend time with those people because the only way we can actually fix the problem is to understand the problem. The problem is at our border. That's what she doesn't seem to understand. Maybe because she refuses to go. Here she's telling you, if you want to fix it, you have to go to where it is. Exactly, Kamala. And you refuse to do that. And then you lecture us as though you are doing that, which makes everyone think, is she just obtuse? Is there some kind of a a disconnect? It's as though she does not understand what is so obvious to everybody else. But she's upsetting pretty much all sides on this uh, border trip. I'm sorry on this immigration, Central America, talk about the U.S. border without going there trip. And some of them are upset that she's even willing to say what the Democrats have to pretend they believe, which is that people shouldn't come into the country illegally. Uh, so, I mean, here, here's, a, here's a left-wing media host on The View, the dumbest talk show on television, Play 7. But I was a little surprised at the, clum- the clumsiness of her language because she said, you know, don't come, don't come. And she was, I think, referring to illegal um, passage into the United States as opposed to seeking legal asylum, which is what um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is talking about. And of course, this country um, was founded on immigration, founded on people coming here legally and seeking asylum. But using those terms, so those words, don't come, don't come, I think is pretty inflammatory. And um, I think that's why she's getting so much pushback uh, because, of, because of those words. I mean, the Supreme Court just, just ruled this week that people that come here illegally and stay here for 20 years still can't apply for a green card because of the circumstances by which they came to this country. And so, of course, you shouldn't come here illegally. But our vice president could have done, I think, a better job in terms of her language yeah this is a legal analyst on the view Sonny hostin who seems to not understand immigration law she notes at the end that yes you cannot apply for for legal status in this country if you came here illegally even 20 years ago we know a lot of people that didn't come 20 years ago they came you know now a year ago two months ago now but the part that keeps getting left out and AOC and the other far left propagandists don't want you to pay any attention to is that the people showing up now at the border who are being apprehended, they are all breaking the law. They are doing what is the equivalent of trespassing on U.S. sovereign territory over an international border. They refuse to go through the ports of entry They don't want to have to wait. So they just show up and they walk. They literally walk into America and say, here I am. Give me asylum. And they're not actually people that overwhelmingly are worthy of asylum. This is just the reality. I want to be an economic migrant. I want to have better opportunities for jobs is not an asylum claim. 
Lying to the Border Patrol, by the way, is also a crime. So people who say, I am fleeing political violence, when really they're actually looking for a better job or they want to live with other family members who are already in the U.S., are also breaking the law. This is lawlessness. And Democrats don't get to have it both ways. They don't get to have the state drag people you know, by the scruff of the neck out of church for failing to double mask like a bunch of morons. The fact that we have to do that, the fact they ever told us that, isn't it embarrassing? They should be ashamed of themselves. Fauci, that little fascist, the worst. But they want the state to drag you out for that because it's the law. It's really an executive order, but it's the law. And on this issue, though, all of a sudden immigration laws just don't count doesn't really matter anymore and keep in mind we have a de facto open border we have coyotes the cartels making huge sums of money over this it's a just an unsustainably lawless reckless situation and aoc the radical left of the democrat party which is increasingly calling all the shots is out there complaining that the biden policies aren't humane enough play five well i think the issue here and first of all you know i think this is not just about the vice president this is about the biden administration's immigration policy writ large is not working it's wrong and it's inhumane why what is inhumane about it if aoc wants every latin american or for that matter developing country all over the world migrant to just be able to come to america she should be honest about that and say that she wants full-on open borders and a dissolution of the current legal immigration system that america has that's the only honest position that she could have because otherwise she's just another person who's complaining about a system that is failing largely because democrats refuse to enforce the laws that are on the books, and they keep saying it's inhumane. I just want to know, do, do you want to pay for every person from all over the world who wants to come to America in whatever numbers they want to come to America? Do you want to be responsible for their health care, for their education, for the massive expansion of the welfare state that we all know is going to happen, is already happening, as a result of a huge influx of illegal immigrants into the country. Yes, illegal immigrants are more likely to need state assistance, more likely to show up in an emergency room demanding free health care, free health services. I mean, you know, there's just so much dishonesty around this uh, this issue, um, and it's awful. And then there's the other part of this, too, which is the so that is the we're not humane enough because, you know, taking two million illegal immigrants into America this year, roughly, that's what the, the numbers are looking like. You know, that's we're not nice enough as a people. A million legal immigrants, two million illegal immigrants. Why not 20? Ask AOC, ask a Democrat, why not just let anyone who wants to come into the country come into the country and they don't have an answer for you? They'll say something like, well, you know, we have a system and we have laws. No, but you don't want the laws to be enforced. You oppose at every stage, Democrats, those laws to actually be implemented. So that's just dishonest. You're just lying about what you really want here, which is what they do 
all the time. Yes, AOC calls him inhumane. And everyone's seeing that the Biden administration doesn't have any answers on immigration that it's willing to say out loud and that Kamala Harris is just flailing on this trip and everyone's seeing this is the person the Democrats really want to make the next president of the United States. Please, when you've lost CNN and you're Kamala Harris, you know, things are going badly. This is a CNN piece. Unnamed White House insiders were left perplexed by the performance of Vice President Kamala Harris on her recent trip to Guatemala and uh, Mexico to address the root causes of immigration problems at the U.S. southern border. Uh, Early in the administration, Joe Biden assigned Harris the unenviable task. Oh, yes, because that's notice how they make it sound like it's not Harris's fault. It's an unenviable task of ostensibly overseeing the hot-button political issue. Harris's team subsequently made clear her focus would be on the systemic issues at play, focusing on the Northern Triangle countries of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, from which a majority of border migrants uh, uh, come. Harris has been a lightning rod for criticism. Yeah, you you don't say. Okay. But anyway, just even the White House is like, my gosh, she's making a mess of this thing. But notice that there's a trend here. It's important you see this. The left has a has a ideological framework that applies to many issues. And in this case, what you're seeing is the systemic the systemic uh, causes component coming to the forefront all over again. Right. It's just like what you see with the law enforcement crisis across the country or the lack of law enforcement because we're undermining cops, we're undermining our law enforcement officers. And so you have spiking murder rates instead of dealing with the problem directly, more cops on the streets, more prosecution of violent criminals, lock up violent criminals longer, back up our cops when they have to defend themselves and others. Instead of going right to it, they want to take some roundabout politically expedient route oh let's hire more social workers let's let's defund the police which actually caused the problem i mean look at it you can line these two issues up you can line up the border and you can line up defund the police and the crime surge in this country and you see a a tremendous commonality here it's very obvious right how does it all start Biden administration comes in Biden administration comes in, gets rid of remain in Mexico, speaks very differently about the border, doesn't want to do interior enforcement. Everybody knows it's wide open. Okay, Biden administration in 2020 is supportive in the campaign of the BLM movement, then comes into office. All the focus is on the January 6th insurrection and not on the riots that occurred then and the violence that's occurring now because of the undermining of cops. So Biden's worldview, the Democrat Party, essentially, because Biden just does what his handlers say, is responsible for the creation of a problem, right, making something substantially worse. And then instead of addressing it in the obvious way in the border, securing the border, turning people away, deporting those immediately who do not show up for their hearings, deporting those immediately who are on the list to be deported. And turning away people that have false asylum claims that are obviously false, raising the credible fear standard to a point where it actually means something. 
Instead of doing any of that, they want to deal with the the root cause of migration in Central America, which on a, in a best case is going to maybe help the problem a little bit in a number of years if they put a lot of resources and time into it. Doesn't that sound just like their approach to law enforcement and defund the police? Adding social workers, you've got shootings and murders spiking 50%, 60%, 70% in cities across the country year over year. And instead of saying, let's stop the bad guys from shooting people, let's put more cops on the street, let's back them up, let's deal with the problem, the Democrats want to deal with, oh, the root, the the systematic or systemic causes of this. That's what we have to do. Let's have more social workers. Let's have, you know, more uh, after school programs or what. Okay, I mean, maybe we could even say that some of those things are, are reasonable ideas over the long run, although I think the social workers instead of cops thing is just insane. But anyway, you know, because there already are social workers. And I got news for you. Social workers don't want to respond to a domestic violence call. They don't. Not without a cop there. You know, psychiatric personnel don't want to respond to an emotionally disturbed person call. Not without a cop there. But you see how they they do the same thing. The same fundamental fallacies apply. Democrats have a worldview that is wrong when it comes to cause and effect. That is wrong when it comes to history. That is wrong when it comes to who the good guys are, who the bad guys are. Who's breaking the law, who's supporting the law. And this means that they're just making wrong choices over and over again on the border, on law enforcement, on any number of issues, right? And this is, you see what I mean, though? They cause the problem, then they won't address it directly because the indirect approach allows them to pander to their base and have this social justice-first approach to something that's really a law enforcement issue in both cases, the border and the murder rate spike in this country. And then when they really want to just push something that's nonsensical, they go they go back to the historical the historical framework for something. Okay, well, maybe we want to stop Central Americans from coming into America illegally by the hundreds of thousands a month, but it's really our fault, you see. It's our fault that people are leaving Central America. America's fault. Your fault, my fault. Because of U.S. history in the region. You knew this was coming. Joy Ann Reed said over on MSNBC the following. You got to hear it. Play six. There are seven countries in Central America. There's another dozen countries and two uh, sort of territories uh, in South America. We're talking about 433 million people in South America, something like, what, 44 million people in Central America. The United States southern border with Mexico is not the only important issue that matters to the world. Those seven countries have a long history with the United States, much of it troubling. The United States used much of Central America as essentially a giant plantation. Google the United Fruit Company. We have a long, sordid, torrid history with this region. The history does not begin at the border where people are showing up. That is not the only important thing that matters. There's a whole history that long precedes people arriving at the border between Mexico and the United States. I'm glad that she has Google and could do a quick search of the United Fruit Company 
and the history of Central America before she went on air to pretend she knows something about these issues. But I will just say this. We want a secure border. I don't care what the U.S. was doing in Central America in the 1980s. I want a secure border. I don't care what the U.S. was doing uh, when it comes to agricultural policy a century ago. I want a secure border. We've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. Uh, and I haven't been to Europe. Why not go to the border as well so that you do see the full complexity? Listen, I, I've been to the border before. I will go again. But when I'm in Guatemala <laughs> dealing with root causes, I think we should have a conversation about what's going on in Guatemala. So okay. can you commit right now that you will indeed visit the U.S.-Mexico border, and will you do it soon? Jeremy, let me tell you something. But yes, I will, and I have before. Yeah. She's really on top of the issue, folks. She really she really gets it. You know, what's funny, too, is that is that the Democrats, they, they can't get on the same sheet of music about this because while some are pretending, you know, the, the Biden administration, because at the national level, they know that 51% of the American people are not down with an open border. They're not. And so they have to play this game. But those Democrats who get to be the the far lefties, because they either have a congressional district or even a state that's so blue that people are absurd and don't understand cause and effect and don't know anything about what's really happening at the border. Uh, You got people like Bernie Sanders running around saying, you know, we should actually make it even easier for people to come into America illegally. Play eight. You said the wall is symbolic and it represents. Yes, sir. So wouldn't it be proper to tear that symbol down in order to achieve that? It may be. But, you know, it's how much is it going to cost to tear it down? Should you do that? Tear it down? I don't know. Maybe the answer is yes. That's something that's something you're willing to consider. You, yeah, you're willing you to consider to look, tearing down existing you do. fencing between U.S. Between, I'm willing between to look US it, and but again, if it's going to cost me billions of dollars to tear it down, I'd rather invest that maybe in the needs for child care in this country. But it's something, you know, we can look at. It's something we can look at. Why would you look at that? What possible purpose could there be in tearing down a section of border wall that to a man, to a person, Border Patrol will tell you walls, fences help make their job easier. I've never heard anybody in Border Patrol say anything different of all the people I've talked to in Border Patrol in uh, in you know, uh, customs and, and immigration enforcement. I, I never heard anybody say anything different than that. Who's a actual employee and, and civil servant of, of those organizations. Maybe you'll hear political people say something different. So why would you tear down some of the wall? Well, because you're trying to placate the radical left wing open borders base. That's why. That's the only reason why. There's no other reason that you could give. And, and if you're somebody who really believes that, we shouldn't we shouldn't be able to have sovereignty. Why is America? I always want to ask these internationalist libs, Marxists, uh, this question. Why is it that America is the only country in the world that that anybody wants to go to that is not allowed to determine who comes and who goes? Try, try to just show up sometime in a country that requires a visa for a U.S. entry and say, no, but I really want to be here. I think I have a better chance at a job here. I want to be here. Try to do that. Uh, You're going to be put on a plane, sent back home, and probably detained for 
many hours, maybe a day or two in uncomfortable conditions and told, you know, you're not coming in. That's what's going to happen. Are all those countries racist? Is it always racism that results in people not wanting an open border? Because the rest of the world is allowed to have borders. Somehow America is not allowed to have borders. Why is that? Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? And as we all know, if it were about safety, there are plenty of places in Mexico where Central Americans would have much e- a much easier time linguistically and culturally and are perfectly safe. There are a lot of parts of Mexico, plenty of states in Mexico that people have low crime rates and it's not, a, you know, it, I know there are bad parts of Mexico too. There are bad parts of the U.S. I mean, you go, go check out what it's like these days in some parts of Baltimore, or the south side of Chicago, or there are parts of the U.S. with really high crime rates too. But... This is not about what's true, folks. This is not about what's really going on. This is about feelings. You see, Democrats are always motivated by how they feel on these issues and and how it makes them feel about themselves. That's the most important thing. That's why the virtue signaling impulse is so powerful among the libs. That's why they believe so strongly in all of this. AOC is among the... She's really... It's like... It's like idiot leftists who just graduated college created a uh, a pseudo Marxist member of Congress in a, in like, you know, on a computer and then built one. You know, like, 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 like they, they created the perfect distillation of faculty lounge left wing idiocy and made it made an actual person based upon those upon those parameters. You get. AOC and here she is telling everybody because again part of this is there's a liberal guilt like we have to take in as many people from the third world as possible into America illegally we're already we already take in refugees we're already taking a million legal immigrants we have to just make it so that whoever wants to show up and can get here on foot can come into the country because we owe it to them we the American people owe it to them and remember you know, your tax dollars will go to support these individuals and those taxes are taken from you by force by the state and that AOC and the rest of the Democrats ultimately will support men with guns showing up to your home to drag you away and lock you in a cell if you refuse to pay those taxes to support the massive welfare state and the monetary policies necessary for the Biden administration to do what it wants with the incredible spending increases that we're seeing. Uh, so you're not given a choice in any of this. And they will support men with with guns locking you up if because the law is the law. Right. The law is the law, say the authoritarian Democrats until they don't like the law. And then, you know, when it's immigration time, come on, laws don't count. And we say that's hypocritical. And they say exactly this is about power. We don't care that it's hypocritical. Don't you see that? It doesn't sting them. It doesn't upset them. They don't have any principles. So telling them they're unprincipled has no effect. So that's how you get where we are right now. And it's also why there's so much virtue signaling among the left when it comes to the immigration issue. AOC citing how we owe it to these these migrants crossing into America illegally because America's done so much bad climate change stuff that the climate change has made it bad in Central America 
And so that's why they're fleeing. So it's really our fault. Play 10. This is also climate policy that is impacting the global south disproportionately, even though these farmers and these folks in Central and South America contributed to climate change the least in terms of their carbon emissions. They are experiencing the ravages the most right now and first. And so U.S. climate policy has contributed to this. U.S. foreign policy, U.S. economic and trade policy has helped contribute to conditions um, that that people are fleeing just not true i mean and when i say it's not true it's it's absurd central america is getting the worst of the climate change brunt right now really well this is this is an argument that a person is making who expects to be treated like she knows anything and has and has even a, a baseline of necessary intelligence to wax philosophical on these issues really apparently yeah it's our climate policy that's making people leave from central america i just want to know was it our climate policy uh, that was making things so rough in Central America in the 1980s? Oh, no, that would be our foreign policy. Somehow it's always our fault, right? And it's not the, the communists. It's not the Sandinistas' fault what happened in the 1980s. It's not the Soviet Union's fault. No, no, it's all our fault. It's, it's amazing how this, sell, this constant desire um, for, uh, for self-purification through showy victimhood. Oh, we were so bad. Look what America did. I'm not one of those bad people, though. Is central to the Democrat ethos. It's just pathetic after a while, isn't it? The amount of impact you and I have had on Central America's climate is zero. I don't want to hear about it. It's absurd. This is crazy person talk. It's what AOC is talking about, though. Yes, we have to look at root causes, but there is a crisis at the border right now, today. And you have to address that today while you look at the root causes down the road. I think also part of leading is optics and and showing that and showing uh, what you care about and what your goals are. And going to the border would have made a big difference. This has been a discussion for weeks. I'm not sure why it hasn't happened. It's a lot easier said than done, but perhaps should have been a priority. (laughs) <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. Yeah, when you've lost Mika, when, when people who will say anything on TV, as long as NBC Universal keeps sending those big paychecks to them, uh, when, when you have got somebody who will say anything on TV and knows that her job is to just constantly pump up and, and praise Biden, Harris, all of them, and she's saying, yeah, maybe it, sh- maybe it should have been a priority. I also think it's funny, too. Easier said than done. No, it's actually really easy to the vice president. This is U.S. soil. If, if everybody was saying, if there was a huge crisis, you know, in, uh, in Topeka, Kansas, we're all worried about Topeka. Uh, don't you think that the vice president would be expected to go there? No, we're not even asking her to go to a foreign country. When we say the border, it just means go down to a part of America that is close to another country. This is not hard. So I think it's funny. She goes, oh, it's easier said than done. No, it's actually easier done than said for Kamala Harris. Just go. Just go. It's not not challenging at all. But uh, I'm sorry. I just. Oh, my gosh. It's so pathetic. This administration is such a joke. Such a joke. You know, there, there were things about the Trump administration 
uh, stylistically and in terms of per- you know that my big beef and I don't want to be a broken record on this. My big beef was a lot of the personnel decisions um, and notably the my kids are going to be my top advisors decision. That was a huge mistake from the very beginning. Totally wrong. Totally gross. And people just didn't want to say I, I said it on this show and I got a lot of heat for it from folks. But I was right. And, you know, I was right. And if you think I'm if you think I wasn't right. Go ask anybody who worked in this White House what it meant to have Jared Kushner have full determination on who got access to the president of the United States and who did not. A liberal, folks, a liberal. Would you, would you want Joe Biden or Kamala Harris to basically be the de facto chief of staff under the Biden uh, under a Trump administration? No. So I was telling the truth and I wanted to do something about it. But so much easier for people in the media to just run around. MAGA. Yeah. You know, uh, conservative media. No, but no one. Everybody wanted to cheer for the good stuff. Nobody wanted to be the coach at halftime that said, I want this team to win. Therefore, here's what Trump needs to do. People didn't want to hear it. And we lost this last election. Oh, you can tell me, oh, Buck, you know, they cheated or who's the president now. Right. I, I still focus in on results. First and foremost, we deal with reality, friends. We're not liberals. We don't create an alternate universe. We deal with reality. Joe Biden is the president. There were things that could have been done differently that would have changed that, including fighting against the way that the uh, the Democrats were were changing elections, using the pandemic as an excuse to change elections um, in in the actual height of the election season. But uh, there were aspects of the Trump administration that, as you know, I, I felt the need to sometimes criticize. Overall, I think the agenda was very powerful, and I think that's what we're going to return to, hopefully, with a, I believe, a DeSantis 2024 run with Trump's backing. And that's that's a winning a winning ticket, I believe. But we knew with Trump that there were some aspects of this that were going to be, you know, it's going to be. A little bit of a show, you know, it's going to be a little rough around the edges sometimes. It was also going to be very amusing, and it was. And the way that he took it to the media was incredible. And finally, people really understand that journalism is a fraud in this country as a profession. It doesn't really exist. There are some people who can do journalism, but it's not it's not a profession anymore. It does not. If you believe that journalism is people actually speaking without political impetus and and uh pushing agendas. But what's funny to me is that this Biden administration, given what we were promised and now what we're seeing, it's pretty hilarious, isn't it? They didn't say, yeah, Biden's going to be too old and we're not really going to hear that much from him. But, you know, it, it, it's it's going to be uh, he's going to be a, um, a guy that relies on the advisors. No, we were told that Biden and Harris were going to do a great job. Biden and Harris were going to restore our democracy, our faith in government. They're going to get all these amazing things done. They're going to do all this great stuff. Like what? I mean, the people that are saying, look at the vaccines. Uh, Yeah. The Operation Warp Speed of the Trump administration got a record time vaccine program done. And then the Biden administration inherited a vaccine distribution plan and just Played out the plan. Yeah, I'm sure they made some adjustments. Anybody would have, but that's it. I mean, this is like uh, saying, oh, Biden, you know, funded the military. Yeah, okay. We kind of expect that. You know, what's the what's the difficult decision that's been made here? What is the choice that the, that Biden-Harris 
has made that has resulted in a better America for a vast majority of the people who live here. They don't have it. They don't have it. Even even uh, you're starting to hear that the Democrats are getting frustrated because they can't get what they want. Here's here's little Chuck Schumer talking about the GOP and negotiations over a infrastructure bill. Play 11. Well, look, we have we're proposing uh, we're pursuing a two path proposal. On the one hand, there's bipartisan uh, negotiations, and those are continuing. The first were between President Biden and uh, Senator Capito with just Republicans. Those seem to be running into a brick wall. But a bipartisan group uh, led by Senator Sinema, uh, and I think Senator Portman is the lead Republican, uh, are trying to put something together that might be closer to what the president needs. And so we're, we're, that's good. But that's not going to be the only answer. We all know as a caucus we will not be able to do all the things that the country needs in a totally bipartisan, in a bipartisan way. And so at the same time, we are pursuing um, the, the uh, pursuit of reconciliation. And that is going on at the same time. And it may well be that part of the bill that will pass will be bipartisan and part of it will be through reconciliation. Um, but we're not going to sacrifice the bigness and boldness uh, in this bill. We will just pursue two paths and at some point they will join. Get ready for the partisan steamroller, friends. Whatever they can do, even if they have to abuse the process to use the process, the Democrats will. Fellow New Yorkers, it's time to move on to unmask ourselves and our kids. That is the piece in the New York Post opinion section from our friend Carol Markowitz, who has been a warrior for the truth during this pandemic the whole time. Carol, great to have you as always. Thank you, Buck. Thanks for having me. I, I got to tell you, um, th- the people that are still walking around with masks on this, this is now and I mean this, it's an anxiety disorder. Yeah, this is a mental this is now mental illness. And I know they don't want to believe that because they believe the science and they believe the science the whole time. (laughs) But no, no, no. And those of us who were saying all along that anyone who's vaccinated really should have no concern about whether someone else is vaccinated or not. We Mm -hmm. never should have like let this get conceded to the other side as an argument because it's absurd. And, and, And now there's all these problems. I mean, Carol, just give us a sense of some of the. Where are some of the places where, I mean, this is true in New York, but it's true in Los Angeles. It's true in a lot of cities across the country. There are these, like, remnants of Fauciism. What's still out there? Yeah. So, you know, people say to me all the time, like, why do you care about other people masking? Why why do I care that, you know, 80% of my neighborhood still walking around outside post-vax in masks? Well, the reason I care is because it continues to affect me. Last weekend, I took my middle son to a roller skating birthday party in Prospect Park, and the rules make no sense. To pick up your skates, you need to wear a mask. To put on your skates, you can take off your mask. But when you're skating in the spacious rink with very few people in it, you need to put the mask back on. And we got told twice by the security guard to adjust our mask, even though his own mask was below his nose because it was 93 degrees outside. And then the kicker of all this is when it's time to to have food and cake, it's a really tight area where there's like five birthday parties going on and everybody on top of each other and we're all eating and blowing out candles and singing happy birthday and literally if you 
you know, had to design where masking would ever make sense. It would be in that area. But obviously, post-vax and, you know, in June 2021, we shouldn't be masking anywhere. But if anywhere, it would be there. And there you don't have to mask. So none of it makes any sense. It's completely mind-boggling. And so I care. I care that so many people are still masking because it affects me. We still have these rules because all these people are still masking. Yeah, there's these these remnants, you know, in in my building, for example, where I, where I am in, in New York City, for everybody listening, there, I mean, I live in a building, there are hundreds and hundreds of residents. So just to give you, it's, it's a very large building with a ton of people coming in and out all the time. And I've basically started the mask insurrection. Um, I, yeah, I will not tell everybody, yes, I'm the one who has pulled down the mask signs in the gym. I'm the one who never wears a mask in the gym. And now others are finally joining along they come in they right. see me because they don't want to wear masks no one wants to wear masks when they work out and these yes. are some of these guys i mean they're actually like and girls they're like really good shape and they're like mm-hmm. 25 or 30 and i'm sure they're vaccinated the, the idea that they should be on the treadmill like heaving into this cloth over their <laughs> mouth is completely insane and that right. anyone demands this of other people is insane and they still do it in a lot of places. In my in my lobby, they have a big masks required indoors. Now, I don't comply, but there's right. this weird tension because the people that still think this stuff needs to be happening, uh, they, they don't want to be told that they're silly and kind of dumb. They want to yeah. still live in this fantasy land that they're the normal ones. And by the way, right. airplanes still require it, cabs. Ubers, any Uber anywhere in the country. If you're listening to this in, in, in Nebraska right now, if you're listening to this wherever you are, Uber still requires you to mask up. Why? Yeah. Yeah, it makes no sense. And especially, like, you know, in situations like airplanes again. Yeah, we all wear our masks, you know, sitting an inch apart on airplanes. And then we all take off our masks to eat and drink because that somehow makes sense. Uh, and then put the masks right back on because, you know, the, the, the aerosols we just we just spit all over the place aren't going to affect each other. Um, it, none of it makes sense. None of it's made sense for a long time. And I have to say that, like, in the winter and in the fall and last spring, I made my kids mask outside because I didn't want to get yelled at by anybody. I didn't, I didn't want to get into altercation on the street while I'm with my children. But now I'm like, bring it, bring it on. Let, let's, let's have a fight in June, 2021 about masking on the street because I'm not having it anymore. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm, I'm starting to get to the point now where, you know, my, my local grocery store, cause I like, you know, the, I like, you know, fancy, uh, coconut do, waters right? and things like that you know <laughs> so i go into a grocery store uh, there's two that I, but 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 they both actually those kind of more standard grocery store and the more sort of health food you know mm-hmm. vegan friendly alternative grocery store i go to they both require masks and i mean right. i don't want to see the, the, what, what i think is so unfair is that the, the way that they always move around the discussion so you can never get accountability like if i go in there without a mask on and and somebody tells me and i cause a problem you you know that i'll be dragged if i like bring this to social media by people saying it's not the fault of the employees i'm like well whose fault is it like you know show show me the person (laughs) making the decision (laughs) right yeah and i think a lot of it has to be um this kind of you know just just taking the mask 
stuff and waiting for somebody to say something to you because that's the only way we really get out of this. I think so many people, yeah, you know, we started this conversation with how many people are just have anxiety about removing their masks and how many people are afraid. But I also think there's some large subset of people who are just following the crowd and they don't want to stick out and they don't want to have an argument. They don't want anybody to say, hey, why aren't you wearing your mask? And so they're wearing it. So those of us who are open to having the conversation and open to having the argument, we should lead the way on this. Speaking to Carol Markowitz, she's got a great piece in the New York Post, the editorial page in the New York Post, and she talks about what it was like taking her son to a, a party outside, roller skating, and uh, and sure enough, you have to wear a mask. Or in the rink, you have to wear a mask, which, yeah. is, mm-hmm. which is completely <laughs> bonkers. But, you know, Carol, I, you know, I, I have to say that as, as far as I'm concerned, there needs to be a repudiation of Fauciism. And mm-hmm. this is what yeah. this is why because I've had people say, oh, you, you're too upset about this or something. I said, I'm like, I don't think I'm upset enough, actually, because right. we're, while while right. the reductions are happening and people who live in Florida are like, oh, great. Um, it, I was just in Miami. There are still plenty of places that do the whole, the, you know, the mask theater of you got to mm-hmm, wear it when you mm-hmm. go to the hostess stand in the restaurant. Right. But then you can take like there. It, it, it is not a mask free zone. People are, are yes. wrong when they say that it is actually right. still. And and we it, we have to repudiate that this there are a few things. It did not work. And this is still considered a controversial thing to say. But mask mandates, mask policies did not work Failed. anywhere near as advertised. That's one part right. of this. And and the second part of this is that, you know, they, they've just begin to, begun to see, and we've talked about before, natural immunity and how this doesn't really ever get discussed. The Cleveland Clinic, not rightwingcrazydoc.com, the Cleveland Clinic just did a, a study <laughs> of over 50,000 people. And sure enough, those who are vaccinated, natu- are vaccinated versus those who are, have natural immunity same level of protection for them. What a shock. Yeah. And it'll, this is another fight we need to have. It's not over. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have so my column in today's New York Post is about New Yorkers, please take off your masks. But I had another one two days ago on Monday where I talked about how we must confront where Fauci went wrong. He has to answer questions. We lived under his insane guidance for 15 months and we did really crazy things over and over again. And we need him to answer questions. And yet we have this media who is asking him like, wow, how are you so amazing? And that's, you know, that's what we get from our press. But we really need some answers. And one of the things I need answered from him is he did not think that the masks could contain the virus because the virus was too small. And he was talking about medical masks at the time. And then we all moved collectively to cloth masks. So did the virus grow? Is it, it, did, was that how the cloth masks were able to contain it according to his, you know, calculations? I want to hear it from him. I don't want to hear it from amateur, you know, doctors on Twitter. I want Dr. Fauci to answer what changed his mind on masks specifically. It's a it's just it's, it's something that there will be so much of a of a fight over because it, it did become a cultural and political symbol, as we all now know, yeah. it did become mm-hmm. a sign of Democrat tribal allegiance and anti Trumpism and all these things. Right. And when you add all that together that I mean, it, it is my it is my belief that mask wearing as people did it in this country which is, you know, put a cloth mask on, take it off. Sometimes yes, mm-hmm, sometimes mm-hmm. no, whatever. Yeah. Uh, touching all the time. Had zero Point appreciable off. effect yeah. whatsoever on the spread of COVID. That is my honest belief. And it has been 
really all along, although I was open in the beginning to, okay, maybe, like maybe this will actually really work right. the way we're told. And and if we let this go, for everybody who's like, Buck, why are you still on this? Yes. You're going to be wearing masks on planes for the next two or three years minimum, folks. At least, yeah. yeah. Be- because they Absolutely. must have places where it still goes on to, to perpetuate this fantasy that what they did was worthwhile. Right. Uh, absolutely right. And I think that, you know, I, I don't understand the wanting to not talk about this anymore. Like, or just saying like, okay, it's over, forget it. Like, I can't forget it. I can't forget the fact that my five-year-old today is still in school masked. My kid, you know, I have three kids, 11, eight, and five. They're all masked in school. They're all masked at recess. And it's crazy. And we continue to do this. And I have no faith that we won't continue to do this in the fall. Where do you think, where do you think we should, uh, we should draw the line on on restaurants here, Carol, because there are some places that yeah. there are some places that are doing this separate on the honor system right. based on vaccine passports. But yeah. they're actually not legally allowed to demand, but they're kind of like intimidating people into self-segregating by vax status in restaurants here in New York. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I'm just telling everybody. I may end up causing a scene somewhere. Like I might be some like right wing talk radio host goes viral because I'm going to lose my mind on these people. And I'm going to say who's in charge. I want the manager. Like I want the owner. I want to know who's actually making this decision. Right. Right. It's also amazing. Um, Ala Pundit on, on Twitter pointed this out, but they're putting all the unvaccinated people together in one space in a lot of places. Like here's the vaccinated area and here's the unvaccinated area. And all the unvaccinated people are sitting together, which is riskier than just spreading them around um yeah i don't know and i i don't i also don't know how they're going to enforce this or how they're going to what about people who can't get the vaccine or you know um just for all kinds of medical reasons are they just never going to be allowed to go to restaurants again um what about the fact that this is like the most easily forged piece of like paper in the world this vaccine card that they gave us with our you know the name of the the vaccine on it is it's it's ridiculously easy to forge i just i have no faith in this like insane system and i think we need to drop it as soon as possible carol markowitz everybody go check out her latest in the new york post she's been one of the very there's been like a handful of us carol and i gotta say and i i give you real real props a real high five on this because the pressure to to even just bend the knee a little bit on this stuff well yeah masks aren't that big a deal <laughs> even if i don't like right. them you know, and, 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 you know, oh, well, do kids really need to be in school? Zoom school's just as good. There were so many places, and, yeah. and you held the line. You stayed strong on it, so you deserve you, a, lot, you a lot of praise for that. Thank you. And uh, thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. About 7% of people say, uh, you know, only if needed, and 13% of people say absolutely not. What holds the 13% back? It's really four main reasons. Uh, some of it's just logistics. I don't want to take the time off. I think there's really going to be costs, even if you say there's not. Another reason is, is safety. Uh, I, it, it was rushed. I, I think this is going too fast. They would actually be more convinced if there was full approval. There's a group of people who say there's enough other people getting it. I don't need to get it. And then and then finally, the politicalization of this, uh, you know, like we've talked about with so many other issues, it's affected vaccines. So 90 percent of Democrats have either received this or say they will, where it's about 50 percent of Republicans. So that's really broken down quite significantly across political lines. What exactly is the reason that this CNN doctor leaves off natural immunity for the reasons people would get? would refuse vaccination 
I'm just wondering. He's a doctor. He must know that there are a lot of people out there for whom that's the reason they don't want to get vaccinated because it is it, it, it is probably pointless. Uh, and and certainly this this is near and dear to, to me because I have very much, as you know, I had to miss a week of the show, which I always I hated doing, but I had no choice. I was super sick. I had covid. It was confirmed by a test. No question. And I had all the symptoms. I lost taste, the, you know, the whole thing. And I'm supposed to get vaccinated. Why? Where's the science on that? Well, they say, shut up, get vaccinated. Stop asking so many questions. No, I think I think I want to ask questions. I think I'm I'm not done trying to track this down and figure out what's going on. And sure enough, you're not going to see a lot of a lot of talk about this on on that many channels. But the Cleveland Clinic, which is a very reputable, highly esteemed, uh, you know, medical institution, the Cleveland Clinic studied. This is this is from the Fox affiliate in, I believe, in Cleveland. Uh, studied the, yeah, it is in Cleveland. In fact, notice the COVID-19 vaccination among people caught the virus and those who haven't. The study finds that anyone who previously tested positive for a SARS-CoV-2 infection did not get additional benefit from the vaccine, which suggests the vaccine should be prioritized to people who haven't gotten the infection. The clinic says this research provides insight into how the immune system protects the body once a COVID-19 infection is confirmed. During the study that was conducted on 52,238 employees in the Cleveland Clinic, the clinic says not a single incidence of SARS-CoV-2 infection was observed in previously infected participants with or without vaccination. The clinic still recommends anyone who can get the vaccine should. Why? Okay, they can tell you that it's probably not going, you know, it's not it's not going to hurt you is what they'll say, right? Why not? They have a why not attitude, but my attitude is why? Give me a why. Why should I go make an appointment and get a shot that I don't need? Does anyone have an explanation for this? They do not. I'm sorry. I'm sick of do this because we say so. We have lab coats or we're the media and we have friends who have lab coats who come on who say things, and they don't know what the heck they're talking about. They don't have these answers. In fact, here, 52,000 employees of, plus employees of the Cleveland Clinic, not a single incidence of COVID infection among the previously infected with or without vaccination. Doesn't seem to matter. You were infected, you're good. That's what this is telling you. And for anyone who says, oh, we don't know how long natural immunity lasts, guess what? We don't know how long vaccine immunity lasts. So? I mean, at what point is it just absurd? At what point is it too much? This is why, uh, you know, all of this Fauciism, all of this belief in the infallibility of these experts has been a disaster. It's been a disaster all along. These people have been making it up. They do not have answers they pretend to have. Why is it that I've been telling you, I've been talking to you about natural immunity for how many months now as an issue that deserves so much more attention? They just suppress it. Shut up, get the shot. Shut up, get the shot. That's what the, There are 150 million people in this country who have had COVID. A lot of them I know have gotten shots, but 
And that's an estimate, of course, 150 million. But how many people out there, if 50 percent have gotten the shot, how many people haven't gotten the shot but have immunity? Do they even try to get that number for you? No, they don't. They just they just go go worship at Fauci's altar some more. That's what the media tells you. I know you should be able to share your thoughts online without being shadow banned, censored, suppressed, and also without being tracked all the time with everything you're doing. But that's not the reality of the Internet today. As you know, the big tech machines are always following your every move online, and they're often shutting you down and censoring you. It's time you fight back against big tech with ExpressVPN. Take back control of your privacy and your security. When you use the ExpressVPN app on your computer or phone, you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity much more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your network data to protect you from eavesdroppers and cyber criminals. Revoke big tech's right to your data today. Secure your internet with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free with my exclusive link. Go to expressvpn.com slash buck right now to learn more. As I said to Peter, at some point she may go to the border. I don't have any trips to preview for you or predict or timeline for that. But what I would reiterate is that her assignment was to work with countries and leaders in the Northern Triangle to address root causes, address corruption, uh, ensure we're working together to address humanitarian concerns. I will say we're not taking advice from former President Trump or most of the Republicans who are criticizing us on this, given they were all sitting there while we created this problem we walked into, uh, both at the border uh, and uh, with with the movement of migration that has been growing over the last year. Utter bullcrap. You know it. I know it. Anybody who's honest knows it. But this is what you get from this White House now. Yeah, the problem at the border was created while Trump was in office. Really? No, there was a surge. Trump dealt with it. It went away. And then the Democrats came in. They removed the, the, the solution that Trump and the Trump administration put into place. And then the flood started again. OK, it's like there was a crack in the dam. Trump said, whoa, there's a crack in the dam. Hey, how do we fix this? And then they plugged it. They plugged the hole. And then the Democrats came over and said, whoa, what's with this plug in the hole? Let's open it up. They open it up and say, oh, look at the crack in the dam. Trump, Trump did this. It's exactly what's happened at our border. It's just, it's absurd, folks. It is absurd. Anyway, I just, ha- I had to play that for you from Jen, Jen Psaki. You know, uh, man, it's just the lies. So many lies. But. Then there's the exaggerations. Senator Klobuchar, deeply unimpressive and nasty woman, from what I understand. Uh, Senator Klobuchar said this recently about the January 6th insurrection. Play nine. The chief of staff to the uh, head of the army actually said in one of our many interviews that uh, we did for this report, uh, said, you know, uh, this is not like a pickup game, this situation, where they just suddenly all come together and can do it. This was like the Super Bowl of domestic terrorism, and there should have been planning ahead. The Super Bowl of domestic terrorism. So I, I just want to be clear. The Super Bowl would be the absolute peak of something, right? 
So, so the January 6th insurrection in which not a single government official or, or targeted person uh, was, was killed. Only person killed was a protester, actually, a rioter, Ashley Babbitt, shot in the neck, unarmed, through a door by a member of Capitol Hill police who didn't even didn't give any warning. Just pulled his gun, shot her in the neck. OK, um, yeah, we're su- we're just supposed to accept that, I guess. I, you know, that imagine that that happened uh, with somebody trying to burn down the police precinct in Minneapolis on behalf of BLM. If a cop had shot a BLM rioter in the neck. Oh, my gosh. Person, person would be a martyr. They would be naming athletic stadiums after that person. They'd be, they'd be naming streets all across America. There'd be, there'd be murals. Noticing quite a difference here in the, in the approach, right? We see this. But calling it the Super Bowl of terrorism, really more, more so than, than uh, Timothy McVeigh, more so than uh, all the ISIS-inspired mass shooters and mass murderers on U.S. soil in recent years. Really, the Super Bowl of mass terrorism was January, of domestic terrorism, rather, was January 6th. Wow. Okay. Uh, what do they really want us to do about this? Let, let's just, for the purposes of discussion, what would make Democrats happy? I wasn't at the insurrection. You weren't at the insurrection. I had nothing to do with it. You had nothing to do with it. Well, what is it? What is going to make Democrats happy? When will they just stop their stop their whining and crying about this? Okay, we've we had an impeachment. We've heard about it a million times. Everybody on the right who knows anything right away knew that it was a just from a, a pure optics perspective, never mind also a rule of law perspective, a disastrous and stupid thing. And we've said so all along. Uh, what, what do they want us to do? When do we stop hearing about this? I don't support it now. I never supported it. I never would have thought it was a good idea. I've condemned it. Everyone else I respect on the right has done the same. Donald Trump has condemned the riot. What exactly do they think is going to be achieved here? A lot more than just accountability. That's what you have to remember. There's this guy who's a former senior FBI official, which the FBI is an institution. And I'm sorry, because I know there are good patriotic FBI agents who listen to this show. And thank you for, you know, locking up people that commit, you know, elder fraud and, you know, and abuse and and do, uh, you know, cross-state child abuse and kidnapping and, and, uh, you know, all, all you know, go after MS-13, cartel, MS-13 organized crime and cartels and all this. Thank you for all that work. OK, the good work that the FBI does. We appreciate it. But, you know, you don't really hear about that. You, know, you don't really hear about the FBI chasing down you know, child molesters and and finding cartel hitmen and uh, dealing, you know, bringing down cartel distribution networks that are killing Americans by poisoning them with, you know, what you what you end up hearing about, unfortunately, are the senior FBI bureaucrats, you know, political folks who are always looking to get a pat on the head from Nancy Pelosi in the Washington Post. That's what you end up hearing. And that's really troubling because it undermines, it rightly undermines our confidence in the FBI as an institution. Here is, among the most lunatic people I've ever seen from any wing of the, of the U.S. government, any part of the U.S. government, this former assistant, you know, deputy assistant director or something, I don't know, it's some, you know, he's maybe a top 
10 guy or top five guy or something in the FBI. I don't even remember. But Frank Figliuzzi, this guy's nuts. But there's a reason they keep putting him on MSNBC night after night to to look into the camera and say shockingly stupid things that are also, though, concerning things. Because the audience that hears it believes that this guy's not crazy. They think he is a, a reputable expert and somebody who should be listened to. He's going on TV and he is, well, you can hear it for yourself. Play three. Look, Chris Ray testified publicly on the Hill that what happened on January 6th is domestic terrorism. What have we learned from our experience with international terrorism? In order to address that problem, arresting low-level operatives is merely a speed bump, not a roadblock. In order to really tackle terrorism, and this time domestically, you've got to attack and dismantle the, the, the command and control element of a terrorist group. And unfortunately, and I know this is painful to hear, that may mean people sitting in Congress right now, people in and around the former president. That's how you do this. Otherwise, recruitment, inciting, and, and uh, cult-like leadership continues to recruit people to violence. This guy is a lunatic. I mean, and really is, is, doing, is doing considerable harm to the country that he you know, supposedly spent his life defending in the FBI, doing real harm. Oh, the command and control network. So under this framework, he's just described, there are Republican members of Congress who are like the bin Laden of the January 6th insurrection. This is what he's saying. They're like the Anwar al-Awlaki of the January 6th insurrection. We just need to prove it. What, what a horrifying and clearly insane thing for a person to be going on TV saying, remember, this guy, is not, he's not just some crazy journo who you know only only hangs out with with left-wing loons who watch too much MSNBC who live in Brooklyn or something this is a guy who was a former senior FBI uh, official and he says this kind of crazy stuff but he feeds into what the left what the democrats want to hear which is that the other side the republican party is, is basically a white nationalist evil party run by terrorists who want to destroy the country, comma. Therefore, any level of viciousness, any level of authoritarianism, any level of, of crushing the other side is inherently justified. Don't, isn't that so convenient? Isn't that so convenient? There's no need to think about decency Never mind fair play or the rule of law when dealing with Republicans because they're the insurrection party now. Even their elected members of Congress, even the former president's inner circle, they're the equivalent of domestic terrorist masterminds. This is what this psychopath is saying on national TV. And and the audience that's hearing it, I can tell you this, watching MSNBC, they're not very smart, but they're emotionally disturbed, but a lot of them have authorities. Some of them have you know ability to really throw their weight around, they think, yeah, this guy Figliuzzi, he's making a lot of sense. We do have to get the terrorist masterminds sitting in Congress. we got our friend Alan West with us now. He is the chairman of the Texas State GOP, also a former lieutenant colonel in the United States military. Chairman West, great to have you. Good to be with you, Buck. I'm on the road heading down to San Antonio. I hear great things about that city. You know, I hear it's really uh, up and coming. It's uh, been been on my radar for a while now. I got to go check it out myself. 
Tell me this. Yeah. What, what do you make of of the the uh, end results here of the vice president's trip down to Central America when it comes to doing something about our border? I think it was an utter failure. Uh, the fact that you actually had the president of Guatemala scolding the vice president of the United States of America and uh, undermining this whole line about that they're going down there or she went down there to get to the root causes of the crisis that we have on our border here. He once again reiterated, just the same as the leadership in Mexico reiterated, that they're the problem. They're the reason why we see what's going on by them changing the policies that were very successful of the Trump administration. It seems like they're doing everything to try to avoid actually facing up to what has caused the issues at the border. There's this there's this fixation, Chairman West, on root causes as as if what will stop the almost 200,000 illegal migrants uh, coming into the country a month between now and the end of the year is anti-corruption coordination with our State Department and Guatemala and an infusion of cash to their government. It's just this is unserious stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's totally uncostable. And for, uh, you know, Kamala Harris to go down there and try to say that it's because of the weather that people are coming here. Well, the weather was pretty much so maybe the same during the Trump administration. It's all about the policies. But really and truthfully, I think we have to come to the understanding is that they don't care about what is happening at the border. Because the bottom line is they are getting exactly what they wanted to have, what the progressive socialist left wanted to have, which is an open borders policy. And that's exactly what they have implemented by executive order. So they're happy to flood the state of Texas with hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants and tie up our border patrol agents, tie the hands of the ICE agents so that they can't deport people. Do you think that we're, we're getting to a, a point now where the American people are seeing in large enough numbers, I mean, enough Americans are seeing that the Democrats just always speak out of both sides of their mouth on on immigration and and really don't want the flow to stop. They don't want border security because I can't imagine observing what's really going on. I mean, I know you're down in Texas and watching this issue very closely, but I can't imagine even a pretty casual observer of the situation at the border and the numbers coming away thinking anything other than this must be not a not a bug, but a feature, if you will, of their immigration uh, desires. Now, you're absolutely right. This is a pillar of their program. This is intentional in every way, shape, form, and fashion. And if the, uh, the rest of the country knew exactly what is going on in some of these ranches and some of these areas, you talk to the mayor of Uvalde, Texas, and what they're having to do to help to secure their schools and the fact that we have illegal immigrants trying to carjack kids uh, in the parking lots of, of schools. You know, this is, this is just unbelievable that people have to live in this state of terror. And what you are finding is that people in the state of Texas, along the Rio Grande Valley, down at the county level, they're going to take this situation under, under control themselves. And I think it's so important that the state of Texas steps up and resolves this situation and stops sitting around and waiting for the federal government because Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, they're doing exactly what the left wants them to do. Chairman West, one of the one of the things that I keep telling the audience is that if you were to ask, because I've I've done this before with Democrats, what is the downside of illegal immigration? What what are some of the reasons 
that it that it is a problem that needs to be fixed, not something that just needs to be managed and allowed. They they sputter and they they get angry and they say, oh, that's xenophobic or, you know, that there's never really an answer from Democrats. I just want to pose to you what what are some of the downsides that people should be aware of, whether it's in Texas or anywhere in the country that's being affected by this of illegal immigration at the levels we're seeing at our southern border? Yeah, absolutely right. I think when you look at the flow of fentanyl and the opioid crisis, so, I mean, it's having a horrible effect on drug uses. Uh, in Washington, D.C., you just recently saw the seizure of enough fentanyl to kill 21 million Americans, hundreds of millions of dollars, weapons, all tied to the Sinaloa drug cartel. It's a national security issue, Buck. We've had uh, people from over 140 different countries being apprehended, crossing our southern border. It's an education issue because people are going to our schools. It is a health care issue uh, at a time when we're trying to turn the corner with COVID-19, that we're allowing people to come in here. We're not doing the appropriate medical screening. And even if we do know that they are testing positive, we're still releasing them out. We uh, have a safety and security and local criminality issue. And you can talk to anyone along the border about that. So it is a, a plethora of adverse second, third, fourth order effects on here in the state of Texas and further internally into the United States of America. Speaking to Chairman Alan West of the Texas State GOP, also a former lieutenant colonel in the United States military and a, and a former member of Congress, uh, Chairman West, just wondering, you know, and I, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm hearing some things that you may have some some thoughts about running for high office again. What can you what can you tell us about that? Well, you know, when you look at where we are in Texas, Texas is the linchpin to hold the constitutional republic that we call America together. And this is the front lines. And a lot of people have asked me to consider getting back into elected office. I have not been in elected office in a decade. And so we have resigned uh, from being the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. We did that last Friday, effective the 11th of July, so that we can look at, you know, continuing to serve this great nation, uh, our God, and the state of Texas in an elected uh, position. So stand by for an announcement that will be forthcoming. Chairman West, everybody. Alan West, great to have you on, sir. We look forward to talking to you more about what you got planned. Thank you so much. I look forward to sharing it with you, Bob. Lawsuit alleges Dante Wright carjacked and assaulted a man three weeks before his death. Just as a reminder for everybody, Dante Wright was the man who was shot by an officer in what seems to be a case of a negligent homicide. Um, but the officer thought she was pulling a taser. She shot Dante Wright. This is a lawsuit now that looks at, well, what did Dante Wright do before his death? There are people that want money from his estate, which has gotten a lot of money from the state because of the shooting. Let's bring in our friend here, John Cardillo, former NYPD officer and conservative commentator to weigh in on this. John, always great to have you. Great to be with you, Buck. I think this is really interesting, John, because here we see a and it's going into the court record. It's a civil suit, but a civil suit against the estate of of Dante Wright, who is going to, as we know, is going to end up getting you know, the family will end up getting a huge, you know, millions and millions of dollars settlement because uh, that's what tends to happen in these cases of, of police. Uh, what, what does seem to be and you and I've talked about poli- actual police misconduct in this case. The woman thought she pulled her taser. She pulled the gun. She shot the guy. 
But that doesn't prevent his estate for being uh, from being liable for shooting somebody just weeks before his death, carjacking him, and basically being responsible, you know, in, in a civil sense for being a, a career criminal and a bad guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, we know his history. He had a, he had a violent criminal history. He was resisting. Now, look, you and I have analyzed this case on air, off air. I've done that with other people. Looks bad for the cops, like you said. I think that fact pattern is going to stand true, even even under uh, evidentiary scrutiny and testimony in court. She thought she was pulling a taser. She pulled a gun, thought it was a non-lethal trigger she was pulling. It was lethal. Issue number one, I agree with you 100%, Buck. His family's going to get big money. But the irony here is that we may never have known about his prior history of shooting people had his family not been in a position to get this mega money, these millions, because they were uncollectible prior to that, right? He didn't have money. So these people may never have sued. And had they not sued, we wouldn't know about his violent criminal history. So in a really odd and ironic way, the the improper actions of that female police officer or sergeant, I think she was, is what led to us finding out about his background because now people saw some dollar signs and said, hey, this guy shot me. Let me collect a few bucks. I just don't, I also think that it goes to something that we've discussed before, John, which is that the the every individual incident that the BLM movement wants to put forward as something that we all have to spend time as a nation talking about a national conversation about you know police brutality and all this. And yes, the facts of that incident matter, but that doesn't then mean that they can create a true cult of martyrdom around these individuals as though they're civil rights heroes. I mean, there are murals of George Floyd as though he's a great guy. Now, you know, people can say, all right, they disagreed with the use of force that the that an officer Chauvin used. And obviously now he's he's got a, a murder conviction on his record. He's facing a long stretch in prison. But that's different from saying George Floyd is somebody who our kids should learn in schools is a hero or, or that right. they should walk by murals of him. And the same thing with Dante Wright. I'm sorry, but, you know, this is this is now an active court case. These are the facts. And his history matters. Listen, it, it's that stands true for most of the martyrs of the Black Lives Matter movement. Go to Breonna Taylor. You know, I travel a lot, Buck. You travel a lot. I don't know how many cars I've rented in my life. Hundreds, maybe more. But I do know a dead body was never found in one that I rented for my drug dealing ex. <laughs> I mean, and that is 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 an actual thing that occurred in Brianna Taylor's life. She rented a vehicle for her ex who was a known drug trafficker and a dead body was found in the trunk. I mean, the, the heroes that this woke movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, the Antifa, Antifa movement have chosen would be anti-heroes. There would be people that children were warned to stay away from at any other point in history. But now they're given the funerals of heads of states. Their families are given tens of millions of dollars before any evidence is presented. That was the George Floyd situation. There was an, an anecdotal video and the family was given $27 million. Now, I don't want to get in the weeds legally, but find me the logic behind that, right? You've got punitive damages, compensatory damages. This guy was never going to make 27 million bucks in his life. Really? That was the punitive damage in this case for a guy who was a career criminal who never gave his family anything. That was the compensatory damage in this case. So so everything is really upside down. But I think you raised the most important point. We are creating heroes that they're canonizing. They're making saints out of people that led horrible, horrible lives that drove them into these interactions with the police. 
And I also think, John, it's worth noting, I mean, you you were, you know, I, for, for everyone listening, by the way, I was a, a civilian analyst detailed to the NYPD while a CIA intelligence officer. It was a very pe- peculiar arrangement. John was actual NYPD with a badge, with a gun, arresting bad guys, right? I, I was doing a very specific thing and really just responding to the director of intel and, and the commissioner. Um, but so John did the real job. And, you know, if you had brought a guy in, a really bad guy, you brought a cop killer in, John, right? You arrested yeah. him and you have him in custody. And, you know, you decided I'm, I'm going to get even. And, you know, you you broke that guy's kneecaps with your nightstick while he was in custody. And, you you know, you tuned him up really badly. Uh, you're going to I mean, you're going to go to prison for that, right? You're going to be held responsible. Nobody would then turn around, though, and say, oh, well, this guy's this guy's a hero, Meaning that right. the guy that you beat on, they'd say, well, you shouldn't do that to him. But that doesn't make him, a, you know, that doesn't make him a civil rights icon. Do you know what I'm saying? It's No, it doesn't. Look, and, and that's a great example. So I don't know if your listeners are going to remember about, geez, I don't know, 20 years ago or so, 15 years ago, there was a cop named Justin Volpe who did a pretty horrible thing. He sodomized a prisoner with a uh, with a plunger handle because the guy. Was this was, the Louima case? The Abner Louima case. Exactly right. Now. This I went to the academy with that cop, Justin Volpe. He was in my sister company. In the academy, we knew this guy shouldn't have been on the street. We all expressed reservations. And when Justin Volpe was ultimately arrested for that, he went to federal prison. Every one of the cops I know said, good. That was a stain on the NYPD. Uh, it, people that weren't, you know, the police academy, 2000 people. I just happened to have known the guy because he was in my sister company. Uh, I was in 32. He was in 33. But that being said, we knew and and nobody came to this cop's defense. Nobody said, oh, well, he's a great son. He's a great cousin. He's a great nephew. He was a high school football star. He was an aspiring guitarist. He was an honor student. No, he was a bad guy who did a bad thing. Let's get him out of our ranks. That's also a real noticeable difference. When a cop does wrong, despite all the, the, the anecdotal lies, Cops that get up and go to work every day and do the right thing want to see that person prosecuted. They want them off the force. They don't want that blowing back on them. Morale's bad enough. And that's another really important distinction. We don't glorify the bad guys in our ranks. We're speaking to John Cardillo, former NYPD and conservative commentator. John, I, I got to get your take on this. I've been talking about it. De Blasio is asking for help. From the ATF now, this is the this is the newest, you know, the newest uh, tactic of distraction. Oh, I need the feds to come in and do a bunch of gun seizures. That's going to stop the crime surge in New York and and is, is ignoring the 1800 officers cut out of the force by defund the police pandering. Yep. Oh, yeah. And, and I'll take it one step further. He's asking the ATF task force to come in and do the exact job that precinct-level anti-crime and citywide street crime did, that was eliminated. Those units were disbanded by the NYPD for being too proactive. And so he knows it works. They were two of the most effective units in the history of the NYPD. Uh, Street crime covered the entire city, and then anti-crime did the same job at the precinct level. They got to know it a bit more uh, microscopically. I I worked uh, on that team for a bit outstanding cops. They did outstanding work. They saved lives. Also important to note, Buck, stop, question, and frisk. It's not stop and frisk. Stop, question, and frisk. This infuriates me. A liberal judge named Shira Scheinlin deemed stop, question, and frisk unconstitutional. 
Shortly thereafter, she resigned from the bench. Why? Because she knew her decision was not valid. Stop, question, and frisk was established under Terry v. Ohio in 1964. The United States Supreme Court said, followed properly, it is absolutely constitutional. People are dying in New York City because the de Blasio administration won't simply go to the appellate division and appeal Judge Scheinlin, who's not even on the bench anymore, is ruling. If they did, invoking Terry v. Ohio, 64, stop, question, and frisk would be back in place, bring back street crime and anti-crime, use the Rudy Giuliani, Michael Bloomberg model, the, the Ray Kelly model, the Bill Bratton model, the Bernie Carrick model. Crime will plummet. De Blasio knows it, but he can't say it with the NYPD, so he's going to bring in the feds to do the job the NYPD could be doing. John, we only got about uh, about 40 seconds here before we got to jump, but yeah. just the, the belief out there with so many people is that stop and frisk wasn't only unconstitutional, but that it didn't work. What's your quick your quick response to that? Absolute best tool I ever had in my toolbox going after illegal guns and robberies. I mean, <laughs> that pretty much says it all. It's amazing. De Blasio he had a had a jihad against stop question and frisk going, and and unfortunately, I think that seeped into a lot of people's minds. And you know, New York City is now suffering the consequences of this. Anyway, our friend John Cardillo. Always great to have you on these Law Enforcement Matters, sir. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Buck. Great to talk to you. I think I I am sympathetic to teachers and educators everywhere who are committed to doing our jobs. And our job is to tell the truth. Uh, our job is to tell the good and the bad. Uh, our, our job is to tell the light and the darkness. And I think that's what students want. And I know I've had so many students who've come to my classrooms in colleges angry that they did not learn about systemic racism and even about slavery uh, during their K-12 years. Okay, I, I don't believe him, so I'll just start with that. I think he's lying. I don't believe that people have come up to him and said that they never learned about slavery in their K-12 through education in this country. I do not believe that. So I'll just start with that. They didn't learn about systemic racism. Well, yeah, because systemic racism is a politicized ideology of racial Marxism that has no solutions and is really just a form of power transfer from a conservative constitutionalist rule of law based society, which is based on the individual and individual action and a colorblind society to one in which you have intersectionality and the constant balancing and rebalancing of racial privileges in this country by a left wing racial Marxist elite that now effectively controls not only the culture, but the Democrat Party. Those are the options that we see right now. Those are the that's the situation that we face in this country. And I think it's interesting that he said he's sympathetic. Ibram Kendi is one of the uh, most well-known instructors out there. He gives these speeches. He makes a lot of money, goes give speeches about systemic racism. Uh, I wonder what he thinks about situations like this. A teacher, this is the New York Post today, at a posh New Jersey prep school quits over critical race theory. I want to share some of this with you. An English teacher has resigned from a top New Jersey prep school that is using critical race theory to create a hostile culture of conformity and fear, causing white and male students to believe they are oppressors, she said. Dana Stengel Plow accused the Dwight Englewood School in Bergen County 
of forcing students and faculty to embrace a single set of beliefs, choking off free speech in the process. The school's ideology requires students to see themselves not as individuals, but as representatives of a group forcing them to adopt the status of privilege or victimhood, Stengelplow wrote in her letter to School Brass. As a result, students arrive in my classroom accepting this theory as fact. People born with less melanin in their skin are oppressors, and people born with more melanin in their skin are oppressed. Men are oppressors, women are oppressed, and so on, she continued. This is the dominant and divisive ideology that is guiding our adolescent students. You know, there's so many ways to attack. That, that's all a quote from this New York Post piece by Dana Kennedy and Tamar Lappin. Uh, there's so much in the way of methods of, of approach to, to attack uh, the critical race theory as intellectually bankrupt because it is. Uh, there's so many ways you can you can address this. I mean, one of them is to say, all right, where is the actual racism in the system? Now, if we're going to say that disparity of outcome is inherently racist when there are racial differences, when you look at, at outcomes, whether it's on you know SAT testing or on jobs, hiring, or on getting mortgage, uh, you know, uh, mortgage loans. That that excludes whatever other data that we can actually look at and say, hold on, maybe it's not racism in this system. Maybe there's something else at work here. Maybe something else is going on. And you know, you can start to look at this and say, okay, is it is it sexism that uh, you know, are laws against homicide, for example, sexist? Well, you look at them and say, well, hold on a second. I mean, men commit 85 to 90 percent of murders in the country. So are laws, you know, so you'd ask, hold on a second. Why is that going on? Are laws against murder sexist against men? No. Men are committing more murders. Are the SATs racist because Asian Americans, for example, do disproportionately well well i i can't tell you why that happens we could have discussions about culture we could have discussions about tradition we could have discussions about a whole lot of things but i don't think it's accurate to just say that the sat is racist because asian americans do disproportionately well right uh you'd have to show me where in the sat is the racism that makes asians do disproportionately well just looking at results and declaring it evil and wrong and a product of racism is not intellectually honest. It's not because there are lots of things you can show, lots of different situations where you look at an outcome, you'd say, well, this is, you know, this outcome is, is disparate among groups and it wouldn't be the result of sexism or racism or anything. There are a lot of factors that go into it. There are very, these are very complicated questions. But we're not even allowed to discuss factors. We're just told you have a disparate outcome. Therefore, it must be. I mean, you could take this to, you know, pe- people will say uh, they'll, they'll say on, on any number of issues, um, they will point to a disparate outcome as as evidence of racism. And you'd say, well, we'll hold on a second. You know, is is there racism in Major League Baseball? 
because you have a disproportionate number of, you know, uh, people from Latin America, Latino Americans and, and people from Latin America uh, who are top baseball players. No, I don't think that's the result of pro-Latin racism. I don't believe that. But you look at a disparate outcome, you say, well, clearly there's a there's a problem here. You know, not not enough Asian-American baseball players. So there's clearly a problem. Right. You see, once you start to look at this, once you move away from the framework that they always want to use, which is just meant to silence you and keep you in fear, you can have a more a more clear headed discussion about these very complicated issues. Critical race theory wants to shut all of that down. That's the whole point of it. I have a different take than you'll hear from most conservatives about New York City mayoral candidate Maya Wiley, who's something of a national figure as well because she's a frequent legal analyst guest on MSNBC, which, as you know, is is a far left channel of alleged news. It's really just Democrat and socialist and Marxist propaganda packaged through a a corporate network. Uh, But Maya Wiley is getting a lot of attention right now for being a huge hypocrite. Not on one, but on on a couple of issues. She's a big defund the police proponent. Wants to cut the NYPD budget, the largest police force in America, wants to cut that budget by a billion dollars. But it turns out that Ms. Wiley, whose husband is a multimillionaire investment fund CEO, Ms. Wiley lives in a 4,000 square foot $3 million mansion in Brooklyn and pays for private security. She pays $550 a month, as do her neighbors. They pitch in for private security to patrol their area, which is already a low crime area. Very, very safe neighborhood, wealthy neighborhood in Brooklyn here in NYC. Now, this is not anything to really be surprised about. This is classic lib stuff. This is what liberals do. This is what leftists do. They want to defund the cops. They want to disarm you as a law-abiding citizen from protecting yourself, your home, your family. They want less police on the streets because that that will help the sensibilities of those who hate the cops because of the BLM movement and the Democrat propaganda. And the fact that it means more violence, more shootings, more rapes, more murders, all that, just the price that the social justice left is willing to have other people pay. That's the way this goes, you see. Other people are the ones who will suffer. It's not Maya Wiley or her husband or her family or their friends. No, no, no. They've got private security. They live in a rich neighborhood. They don't care. It's like CNN anchors who go from Hudson Yards here in New York City when they're not working at home, which, of course, they've been doing for the pandemic, up to their two to three to six million dollar apartments, depending on which anchor we're talking about on the Upper West Side or maybe down in the West Village. And then they go to their Hamptons uh, houses, Sag Harbor, East Hampton, Southampton, you know, got a two, three, four million dollar place on the beach. They're not worried about what's happening out in in uh, Brownsville. They're not worried about what's happening in the South Bronx, the shootings that are occurring in numbers we haven't seen in 20 years in parts of New York. This is true of libs all across the country. The elites, the ruling class, the millionaires 
who go on MSNBC to preach social justice and defund the police and all this, they don't care about what's actually happening to the people they allegedly are advocating on behalf of. It doesn't matter to them because they're not in it. They don't live in high crime neighborhoods. They don't have to worry about what's going to happen to their homes, their families themselves when they're trying to get into their front door at night after a long day of work. They've got chauffeurs. They've got town cars that pick them up. You know, they've, they've got drivers that take care of all that. They're not riding the subway and dealing with the insane vagrants that are, you know, putting all kinds of human refuse on the subway and doing all kinds of disgusting stuff and attacking people. And no, they're not worried about any of that because it's not their problem. They're not speaking to the people that are suffering as a result of the permissive pro-crime liberal policies out there. They're speaking to the other elites, the other people that watch CNN and MSNBC and think it's gospel, who also live in safe neighborhoods. And, and then those individuals, when they do speak to people that are supposed to be more in touch with BIPOC communities, right, black, indigenous, people of color, BIPOC is now the non-white acronym that the left uses all the time, uh, but BIPOC communities that are suffering from this crime wave in places like New York, the people that, that they speak with, who are the community organizers there, they're also millionaires. They're also not affected the same way by this crime. The everyday folks who are trying to pay their bills, trying to do the right thing, trying to live their lives in peace and, and trying to get ahead with some hard work. That's too bad for them. Maya Wiley's too busy preening for the cameras morally. Maya Wiley is too busy making a show of how much she cares about social justice and defund the police while she lives in a mansion with private security in Brooklyn. And this isn't even unusual. This is this, the classic story for Democrats who want to be in elected office. They pretend to be so disconnected, so dumb, that they can't figure out whether it's Nancy Pelosi or na- name a prominent Democrat who's in favor of defund the police. And I'll, I'll show you somebody who's probably got millions of dollars, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank and lives in a, in a wealthy neighborhood and has, has no concerns about violent crime in their own area. And sure, the surge of violent crime in other places, that's, that's not their problem. What is their problem is making it clear to their constituency that the cops are the real enemy. Yeah, that'll get it done. Oh, and if you thought that we haven't addressed enough of the absurdity and the hypocrisy of New York City mayoral candidate Maya Wiley, who is really the classic liberal elite went to Dartmouth and then Columbia has, you know, Columbia law school has played the system to her advantage at every opportunity. That much is clear. And now is is married to a multimillionaire wall street guy lives in a 4,000 square foot mansion, pays for private security, has drivers taking her all over the place. And she wants to make sure that if you live in a high crime neighborhood, there are less cops, fewer cops on the streets. Less likely for police to be able to intervene in time if you're the victim of a violent crime. Less likely for the bad guys out there who are victimizing all communities, including communities of color, at higher rates than we've seen in 20 years. Uh, less likely that police will be able 
to deal with that crime surge, to bring it back down, to bring the numbers moving in the other direction. Because it's all about the liberal elites, you see. They don't care about the people they pretend to care about. This is one of the this is the fundamental fallacy of the modern Democrat Party that the whether it's AOC who lives in a super fancy apartment in D.C. and, you know, is 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 driving around a seven seventy thousand dollar sports car and complaining about how the government's not fixing her abuela's ceiling in Puerto Rico. Uh, this this is the way the libs think. They get to be rich. They get to be powerful and complain about how everybody else isn't doing their part to to, you know, to be to be more devoted Marxists. Oh, and as if it's not enough, Maya Wiley also says that uh, says that that talented programs, gifted and talented programs in the public school system are racially discriminatory. Now, I want to I want to just ask you this. Do you think that she sends her children? She has two children. Do you think that Maya Wiley would be mayor if New York sends her children to the local public school? I'm, I'm just just take a guess, folks. Remember, gifted and talented programs are, quote, racially discriminatory, she says, end quote. And by that in New York City, do you know what the Democrats mean? They're telling you there are too many Asians in those programs. That is the complaint they make about Stuyvesant. Yes, this is true of the left. They view it as a problem that Stuyvesant High School and other high schools in New York have such a high proportion of high achieving Asians because they're the, the dominant uh, ethnic category in those schools, in these gifted and talented programs in particular, places like Stuyvesant, Bronx High School of Science. But do you think that she sends her daughter to just the local public school? Because come on, public schools are the backbone of America, right? That's what the Democrats say. Uh, no, she sends her daughter to a $51,000 a year private school. Oh, okay. But if if you're a hardworking person without enormous financial means, and, and your child happens to be talented enough, hardworking enough to get into a gifted and talented program, Maya Wiley wants you to know that those programs are racially discriminatory. Pays for private security, lives in a mansion, wants to defund police, says that gifted and talented programs in public schools are racially discriminatory, sends one child to a school for the gifted and another to a $51,000 a year private school. She's the quintessential Democrat. She is the she's the ultimate, the ultimate liberal in 2021, Maya Wiley. So this is what the Democrat Party has become. I think we should all be very clear about that. Speaking of elite liberals. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. It's time for roll call. Producer Mark. And the roll call. What's up, producer Mark? What's going on, man? How are all the things? Well, the things are going. Yeah, what's They're the latest happening. and greatest? Uh, nothing really. Just kind of in a waiting purgatory mode as usual. I mean, this is really getting kind of crazy, you know. Fuck! I was supposed to close a month ago. I don't. I don't even know what to do anymore. Uh, do you mean a? You know, should I should I start uh, sending some angry tweets at the homeowners association? You know, I mean, you put a possible i don't know if i'll notice no you like, have what to, are you, you doing have to, only, to my fred producer mark you can only mail them things you can't tweet them come on 
The rules well, were made good. in the 1970s, so you oh, can't right. change I, I them need at all. I need to fax them something, or or get it get a no. notarized letter sent no, no, no. to them. Fax probably. is way way too high tech. You have to mail it from the post office with a stamp. There it's we the only go. way they take it. All right, well, let's get into roll call for everybody. Facebook.com slash Bucksex and TeamBucketIHeartMedia.com. Also, just so you know, folks, I'm going to be uh, out next week. We're going to have guest hosts in next week. So uh, nothing bad's happened to me. I'm just taking some time to get geared up for the new show June 21st. But I also want to make sure you know that while I'm going to be doing the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show 12 to 3 p.m. Eastern time across the country, 400-ish, 300 to 400 stations, something like that, hundreds of stations, across the country uh i will still be doing the daily buck sexton show podcast so don't think that that podcast feed is going anywhere we're gonna have the buck sexton show podcast that is also where i will be putting specials and history shows and things like i, I think we're also gonna do some long format interviews where i just if i have one really great guest i want to talk to we might do you know an hour and and drop it on the podcast so that's the kind of stuff that we're planning there i don't want you to think it's it's going away and uh yeah maybe a siege of malta part two mm, that needs to happen i'm aware that that needs to happen now even snow princess makes fun of me she's like are you still promising your audience and not delivering she's like she's like you now she's become their advocate she's like yeah. what she's like i'm gonna stop I mean, no more cookies for you until and i'm like all right fine i mean fine. she's gonna have to carry it on i only have a couple shows left to be the ombudsman for the uh the, uh, the She'll be there in the background rooting for Team Buck. That's the way it's going to go. So here we go. Let's get into some of the things. We have uh, Kiara who writes, Hey, Buck, I'm a 38-year-old single conservative woman living in Nashville. The only guys that ever ask me out end up being leftists. I'm starting to worry there are no single conservative guys close to my age. I really feel it's important to share the same values with a significant other. Where do I find these guys? Where do I find conservative guys? Uh, well, uh, Kiara, I would say, and I hope I'm saying your name properly. Um, I would say that, uh, anything that involves firearms is a good place. So maybe go to the range, go to some range events. Great place. Uh, I, I, people always say church and I think there are some churches where there's enough sort of young single people that, you know, you maybe can kind of get to know somebody there, but I also feel like not a lot of folks, you have to go to a church mixer or something. Not a lot of people want to walk up to somebody in the pew and say, hey, stop your praying and start your uh, drinking with me tonight. Wine. You know, that's a little that might be a little tough. Um, so those those are ideas that I would put that I'd put out there for you. Um, and also, I think and I do not know about this, I can say from personal experience, I think there's like a couple of MAGA or conservative uh, dating apps out there. You know, that's another one you could you could try. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'd give that a shot. I'd give that a shot. But look, if you're in Nashville, there are plenty of guys, plenty of guys. The gym, by the way, here's the thing. I'll tell you this is in my experience. The gym is a place where it is very hard for a guy to to meet a girl. And some of you are going to say, me, oh, Buck, I met my wife at the gym. OK, well congratulations with your Popeye forearms and your six pack. But like the gym is a slightly intimidating place for a guy to go up to a girl. But if you strike up a conversation with a guy, then he knows it's kind of game on. So that's another opportunity, I would say. So I hope I hope uh, Kiara, those are worthwhile uh, suggestions. Dale. Hey, Buck, I cannot begin to tell you how happy I am for you. I always felt like you were the true heir apparent. I know that sounds like hyperbole, but there are a lot of people I know that have been saying that, too, for several years. That's really kind, Dale. Thank you. I certainly will continue to be a loyal listener and wish you the best. 
Coming after an iconic legend is never easy. P.S. I guess this means you won't read my stuff on air anymore. Kidding. Good luck, man. Godspeed. Dale, no, I will be reading your stuff. The Buck Sexton Show is continuing. For everybody who is listening to this on radio right now, please, please subscribe to The Buck Sexton Show. You can download it on the iHeart app. You can download and listen on uh, the Apple Podcast Store. In the Apple Podcast Store, you can listen on Spotify, on Podbean. Uh, So those are all places where you can listen to The Buck Sexton Show. And I think you should listen to The Buck Sexton Show. So please check it out. Marcus uh, writes, actually, this one's going to be too long. Mark, let's hold Marcus for tomorrow because I won't be able to get to this whole, it's a long, very nice note. We'll get to it. Uh, Pablo. Hey, Buck. First, congratulations. I only listen to two radio shows during the day, you and Rush. I know you've been humbled by this opportunity, therefore, and therefore you deserve it. I do not know what the new show will be like or if you will have roll call as part of it, so I wanted to write in for possibly one last time. I do know the new show will be informative and a ray of hope in the conservative world. Shields high and thank you. Pablo, thank you so much. It's very kind of you. And I, I, I have always been, look, I'm just going to say, I've always been really proud of how many people say that they listen to two shows, Buck and Rush. There's a lot of you out there, and that is the highest compliment that I could possibly have in this business. So thank you very much for that. But Pablo, I just want to reiterate for everybody out there, the Buck Sexton show, June 21st until forever, is continuing as a daily podcast. So you will have this show you're listening to now. It's going to sound very much the same. It's just going to be podcast only, not radio. 12 to 3 will be the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. So that's the plan. Talk to you folks tomorrow. Shields high.